Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I kind of touched on just, you know, being able to kind of run our own kind of league itself and, and being able to make our own rules that work for our market. I mean, you, you look at across, you know, let's say, I think it's 10, 10 different uh, provinces or 10 different leagues that we have. And, um, you know, you really, when you look at it, we're kind of in a, in a different, I guess you guys say situation than most, most leagues. And, um, you know, we really pride ourselves on, you know, what we do to move guys to the NCAA and move them on to scholarships. And so I think that's where we feel our value is, is, you know, us as a brand is we've built it up pretty strong and we want to continue that. And I think this is just the next step that we have to do in order to get that brand there. That was Brooks Christensen, General Manager of the BCHL Salmon Arm Silverbacks, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to that My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan, your host, and today is episode 60 and it's a bonus episode uh, I had the privilege of speaking with Brooks Christensen uh, live in my Up My Hockey parent group on Facebook. And Brooks Christensen is the general manager of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks, a team in the BCHL. Uh, BCHL is one of the biggest feeder systems to the Division I uh, universities in the United States for scholarships. And, uh, and it's the place where most players try to play if they aren't going to play major junior. So if they aren't going to play in the WHL, um, some even in the OHL, they will come out to the BCHL um, to seek that U.S. college scholarship and to uh, continue their, their hockey careers at the collegiate level. And Salmon Arm is part of the interior division of the BCHL, which is probably recognized as one of the strongest divisions uh, in Junior A uh, in Canada. And the BCHL has been a part of uh, quite a bit of discussion lately because there has been discussion, um, even some press releases that the BCHL is going to leave uh, the National uh, League where, where, they, where they play for the uh, Royal Bank Cup. Uh, which is a national championship. They play against the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the SJ, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, and so on and so forth, all across the uh, to Eastern Canada. And there has been discussion that they are going to leave uh, that association and they're going to act as an independent league. So there's lots to talk about. There's been uh, a ton of unrest within the BCHL this year, as there has been with all of junior leagues across Canada. The BCHL is back playing now. Uh, they've started uh, their own mini mini season in mini bubbles. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's messed up the recruitment process for teams. Uh, they haven't been able to see, or COVID has messed up the recruitment process for BCHL teams. They haven't been able to watch uh, players here in the West because the seasons have been shut down. So we talk about that. We talk about how it's affected the players on their team and on rosters who are seeking these Division One scholarships when the recruiters uh, from the United States, one, can't cross the border like they usually do, uh, and two, there's no games to watch. So now they're watching either games from last season or the limited action they've seen this season. 
uh, we're talking about that in this episode and also a little bit about Brick Brooks and how he got to the position of being general manager for Salmon Arm. So uh, pretty informative. I thought this was a great conversation. Uh, and I think that there's a, a lot of interest from parents and from players about, you know, what does it take uh, to get to the BCHL? How do I do it? Uh, how do I get the attention of teams? What are they looking for? And uh, and what's happening for two players right now in this uh, in this COVID era of uh, being a junior player? So I thought I would release this uh, a special episode on a Thursday. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, here is Brooks Christensen, the GM of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks of the BCHL. Hello, hello. Good evening out there, uh, hockey world. We are live in the Up My Hockey uh, Facebook group. We're up my hockey uh, page and also on my on my live channel for a conversation with Brooks Christensen. Uh, Brooks, welcome so much to the show. And uh, we are speaking with the GM of the uh, Salmon Arm Silverbacks tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Hey man, no problem, no problem. I thought he'd be an amazing guest. Uh, well, for a few for a few reasons. One, obviously, I'm local to this area, and I know a lot of people that follow me are uh, you know Western Western uh, Canadian. So BCHL is is of importance to them, uh, either from a fan's perspective or from a perspective that they have a child that wants to play in the league. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to chat with you. Um, you're a league and represent a league that a lot of players want to play in, and there's a lot of questions about hey how how do I do that uh, how do I how do I make that dream happen uh, so I thought we'd get into that but there's also been a lot of interesting stuff that's been happening lately just with your league in and of itself um, leaving leaving uh, the what would you call it like the the governance of of Hockey Canada is would that be the right way to put it yeah not leaving Hockey Canada but the the Canadian Junior Hockey League uh, as a whole is is basically the discussion right now so yeah it's 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 not a small thing but at the same time it's maybe not as big as what people make it out to be gotcha. at this time gotcha so yeah I definitely want to cover that um so welcome everybody who's here by all means say hi uh as always I encourage questions and interaction I know that there's a lot of you out there that are very curious about these things I'll do my best to ask the questions that I feel are relevant, but I know there might be other things out there. So at any point in the conversation, please um, let us know if you're liking what you're hearing or if you uh, want to ask something of yourself and Brooks says he would be more than happy to uh, to help with that. So by all means, get your questions in. Uh, again, we're here with Brooks Christensen, the GM of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks. And Brooks, you have an interesting story just of yourself, just when we were touching base the other day. Um, about how you got to the position, and um, and why don't you tell us a little about that? Where did you where did you play your hockey first of all? Because you did play a little bit, correct? And then how did you get into where you are now, right now? Yeah, I played uh, I played a short stint. I mean, I played four years of junior uh, junior B. I started in Princeton, and then uh, I had a short little time in Manitoba, and then I finished off in Revelstoke for my last year. And uh, I'm from Salmon originally, so it's it's definitely a unique situation for myself of being uh, being in the position I am for the hometown junior team that uh, that I've obviously grown up and being a part of. We were a billet. I was a stick boy when I was younger for the team, so it's kind of a a full 360 on how things have come, but uh, it's a great opportunity. I really enjoy what I'm doing here now, and obviously being in, in a community that I'm so fond of, it's it's pretty easy to to enjoy it. Oh my gosh, that's wild! So you're a stick boy for the Salmon Arm Silverbacks, and then uh, ends up being being the general manager. Well, you said too, like so you obviously had, I mean, you had the bug. I mean, you played it right. You did it for four years. You left, um, and then was it always something that you knew you wanted to pursue hockey in some regard, or did you uh, come back to it, or how did that transition work? 
Yeah, I think I took about a year and a half away from hockey. I mean, I, I would go to a couple of Silverback games. Uh, I started in sales and I was doing finance at the time in, in the automotive industry. So it was kind of a little combination of, you know, I was more of just a fan and stepped away. My brother was still playing junior hockey at the time. So I was able to watch him and, and go to a lot of his games. And then I think it was about a year and a half to almost two years after playing that uh, I got kind of approached with uh, Brandon West, who was the, the head coach at the time, the Silverbacks, and Troy Mick, who was the GM, um, and started talking with them. I think I helped out for a spring camp and then the following year kind of offered a, a kind of the second assistant coach role and uh, and really what started that and just got me back around the rink and it kind of just escalated from there and I anyway, here we are I think it's about six years later now so it's uh it's definitely an interesting journey for sure yeah that's super wild so you you came back as an assistant coach and then what did you like most about that experience that kept you kept you coming back I think it was just just relating to guys, you know, not, I mean, I was never like an assistant coach that would have, you know, the room to yell at guys or, you know, get mad. It was more just trying to be there for the players as a kind of a, an assistant role of just whatever they needed for somebody to lean on and chat with. Um, you know, I, I specialized more in face-offs and, and power play. So it was really working with guys kind of on a one-on-one basis on that. Um, and, and just, you know, really enjoy just being there for any guy's needs and whatever it was, if it was, you know, maybe they weren't scoring or getting points or, you know, just struggling just in their game itself. It was, it was pretty neat for me to kind of start with that, but I kind of knew that coaching was never my forte. It wasn't something that I you know wanted to be a head coach at one point in time. I, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the business side and that's kind of what transitioned me over to, to the position that I'm now in at this time. Awesome. So you rose, rose up organically. Um, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit before you, you had a pretty good mentor there in Troy Mick, who's been around the game as a player and as a, um, you know, all back office guy. So he was, you had some tutelage from him, I assume. And then Troy left and, and you, uh, the ownership saw something in you and, and kept you around and moved you up. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, working beside Troy was, was phenomenal. I mean, I learned so much from the guy. He's a brilliant hockey mind and just his passion for the game is, is next to none. Um, so I, I think we, I, I transitioned after my second year of assistant coach. Uh, I switched over to the marketing side and really started to focus more on the business side of things. And then basically as we kept moving forward, um, when Troy left, uh, I had a pretty good relationship with the ownership at that time and, uh, and they offered me operations manager. And so I did that for about a year before taking over the, the GM role and, and really making my focus more on the hockey side and business, of course, but um, it's kind of just all gelled together and every day is different. And that's what I love about this job. Cool. So do you, uh, do you have any goals, dreams, hopes after, after the Silverbacks? Is this something you'd like to pursue at a, you know, whether a major junior or, a, you know, NHL level someday? Well, I think it's, you know, it's pretty hard to say no to that question, right? I mean, it, it's, it's something I never thought that would be even something in a category that I would be able to talk about, but, um, you know, talking with quite a few different hockey minds, it's, it's definitely something that's crossed my mind more and more. I mean, I have a really good opportunity here in Salmon Arm. Our ownership's great to me. You know, it's, it's, you know, we, we've got a lot of unfinished business last year. We started to, to get on a roll before COVID shut us down. So really want to make an impact here in Salmon Arm before looking any further, but, uh, I think it'd be pretty hard to turn down, uh, any of those two leagues They're they're both fantastic leagues so it'd be really good to to get to work with that as well well that's awesome you have a young um, yourself i mean i believe you're 30 um hope you don't mind me saying that and i think your head coach is 32 and you know that's uh that's really great to have that youth you know and it sounds interesting to say youth but you mean obviously your players are in their teens and maybe 20s so um so they're younger than you yet you're still young for the business and a lot of a lot of time to to move on from from where you're at right now but of course you got to serve where you are the best you can in order to do that um, exactly. and that's one of the things that some of us players lose track of sometimes we're so busy 
thinking about the big goal and the big dream that we lose track of actually where we're at and we have to kick some butt at that level to get anywhere else. So <laughs> I'm sure it's the same in, in, in your spot. Um, yeah, that's great. I love the fact that you're a stick boy now the GM and, and in that seat though, I mean, and we are again, for those of you who are just joined in with Brooks Christensen here of the, uh, Salmon Arm Silverbacks GM, let's talk a little bit about the BCHL because it's in an interesting spot right now that's been announced that you guys are, uh, leaving, um, as you said, the, uh, the collective body of of the uh, of the junior A in, in Canada to go independent and uh, and run the BC junior uh, BCHL with this name stay the same is that is that the plan? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that won't change. I mean, you know, our our, our format and just in general won't change at all. Um, you know, when I took over three years ago as, as governor and, and sat on the board of directors with our league, um, you know, it was amazing what Chris Hebb, our commissioner, kind of stepped in uh, at that time. It was, I think, his first year was my first year, and and really just wanted to mold us to be our own business and be able to promote ourselves. And so, you know, it's been a, a discussion for ongoing years, and and at this point in time, you know, it's obviously it's the band-aids being pulled off and there's a lot of discussion behind that. You know, even I don't know what's going on there, but um, I I think it's at the time where we're pretty independent and our league's done a great job, you know, even looking through COVID here, of what we've been able to handle and accomplish. Um, You know, we had our guys back months before the Western league was even, and obviously that came down to dollars and cents for ownership, but um, it's just, there's a lot of pieces that we feel that we can finally just say, okay, the BCHL is, you know, can handle it and do it ourselves kind of thing. And so is it then official this is happening next season you guys will be independent is is that 100% done uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can even stay where that's at. I, I'm not I'm not too in the loop on that. I know we have a AGM meeting here with our league coming up. I think it's in the end of May, so I'm sure there'll be more discussion there as to what that's going to be. I know there's a lot of pieces that come with that uh, as well. So um, I think at this time, it's there's been still some discussions back and forth with the CJHL, but um, you know, I'm just going to be sitting waiting patiently to hear what the next kind of steps are. Sure, sure. Would you mind walking us through like what um, what you maybe the advantages of doing something like this and, and why uh, and why the owners are thinking that this is this is a good move? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I kind of touched on just, you know, being able to kind of run our own kind of league itself and, and being able to make our own rules that work for our market. I mean, you, you look at across, you know, let's say, I think it's 10, 10 different uh, provinces or 10 different leagues that we have. And um you know, you really, when you look at it, we're kind of in a, in a different, I guess you guys say situation than most, most leagues. And, um, you know, we really pride ourselves on, you know, what we do to move guys to the NCAA and move them on to scholarships. And so I think that's where we feel our value is, is, you know, us as a brand is we've built it up pretty strong and we want to continue that. And I think this is just the next step that we have to do in order to get that brand there. Gotcha. Well, what, what do you, what, uh, I guess what freedoms uh, were you allowed? I mean, I, I don't have the uh, like the recruiting rule book in front of me, or like what you guys are allowed or not allowed to do right now under the current format. But I assume this, this opens uh, you up to do different things, which is one of, which would be one of the advantages. What are what are those different things that you'd be able to do, or that you won't have to abide by? I guess if this goes through. Yeah, I, th- I think the the biggest one, I guess, would be territory, like the, the 16, 17 year olds from out of province, I know, and, and obviously Europeans, that's another big one and imports from the States, um, you know, kind of all those categories in that same area. So there hasn't been any discussion, I know, from at least that I've been a part of, of, of what that's going to look like. I know I've had a lot of advisors reaching out, a lot of, you know, parents asking, okay, what's this going to do? At the end of the day, we're still playing 60 minutes of hockey every every night and and until I know further and until it's announced for that's pretty much all that I can, I guess, say at this point in time and, and know what's happening. Right. So the composition of the roster 
could potentially change. That would be one of the things that would change. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's pretty, you know, when you look at across, you can see that, you know, most of our um, 16, 17 year olds are BC born, you know, players. So it's, it's really making sure that, uh, you know, we keep obviously the focus in BC, but, but also open the opportunity up for other players to be able to come into our league. Gotcha. So as it is right now, you, you are forced to have a certain component of BC born and bred talent on, on the roster. Yeah, so our, our rules right now in the BCHL is that we have to have five BC players um, from from BC. What they can be, they can be sixteen, they can be twenty years old. We just have to have five five uh, have the BC uh, province attached to them. So, um, you know, for us, I think we've got six right now. So, um, you know, I know in past years we've had more. Sometimes we've had you know just the minimum of five. It just really comes down to how your roster is laid out, and it's always a you know when you're when you're going through your recruit uh, bracket, you're making sure that you've got those in the future that you're not all of a sudden run into where you only have two one year. You really want to make sure if anything you've got more. It just you never know what happens during years, right. right? Right. And that would be the same then for like the AJ. I mean, they have to have five Alberta players on their teams. Is that is that I, accurate? I, I believe that's right. Yeah, I'm not too familiar what exactly the Alberta Junior Hockey's uh, you know rules and regulations are, but I, I think that's kind of standard across the board for at least the the next couple provinces over kind of thing. Gotcha. And then what is the what are the allowances for Europeans or for U.S. players as it sits right now? So we're not allowed any Europeans currently, um, at least in my time in the BCHL, we haven't been in. I think I think years back, maybe around 10 years ago, you could have one or two. Um, I know previously your imports also counted as out-of-province players. They counted towards your import count as well, um, but you're allowed five imports. So we're allowed five American players basically to join, join our league, and uh, they have to be basically 18 to 20 years old currently, and then you have uh, a max of, of uh, 20-year-olds as well that you have. So you know, if you're a 20-year-old American, you hit basically two kind of boxes that, uh, that you have to work with. Gotcha, gotcha. So then, yeah, so if you, if you guys left, then maybe – you know, maybe you could have less BC players potentially, or you could have more US players. Like you, you might be able to open up the the net on on where you where you get your players from and what the composition looks like. Yeah, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure especially our commissioner in the, in the league is is doing a lot of thinking there. I mean, I know the one kind of conversation we have is in no way do you want to go less BC players. I mean, I think it's pretty important being the BCHL that you have players. I mean, we're fortunate enough we have one local on our team that we signed. Uh, just right after Christmas, actually, as a 16-year-old. And um, I know we've got a couple recruits for next year, even that are in the Okanagan area. So to me, I think it's it's important that we have those BC players. It's, you know, we're the BCHL, we're in BC, why not bring in the best players from our province here? And, and so it's, uh, it's something at least I know when we look at recruiting, it's it's close to home. It's easy to, to get out to Kelowna, Vernon, Cameron, right. and, and watch games right away. Yeah, I think you guys are in a good market for that, obviously, because there's a lot of there is a lot of local talent in this area. Maybe maybe harder potentially for teams like on the island or something, right? To to have that homegrown type talent there. But I know just from me being from Vernon and around this area, I, I know there's there's always a, a natural desire to have local players be a part of the team because they are a part of the community and it keeps the community active. And it's, I mean, it's really good stewardship for the community itself, right? As far as marketing is even concerned from a business standpoint, right? Like you want to have local players. It just makes sense. Um, obviously you don't want to force feed your organization if the talent isn't there, but you I mean, it's, it seems like BC is producing some pretty good talent compared to, uh, 
you know, compared to other places. So um, I'm glad to hear you say that because obviously my boys are coming up through the, through the ranks too. And um, we'd all love to see our kids stay closer to home than have to go farther away. So um, there's a question from, uh, from one of the Facebook uh, users here. It says, do you see Wenatchee joining the league again next year? Has that been part of the uh, discussions? Yeah, so they're they're still a part of our league right now. They still have a seat at the table. It's basically just with the border being closed is the only reason why they had to take the hiatus of a year. Um, but I mean, they're a great organization, great partner with the league, and so I know there's no no conflict there. Just getting that border back open so they can join us again and, and be a part. I mean, they're you know they're a, a very good organization to play against and, and to go down there. I know I know there's been lots of good things to come from the Wenatchee organization joining the BCHL. So those poor guys just sit there and they're, they're not able to play anybody because they're, they're, they're the only U.S. team, correct? Yeah, they, uh, I'm not, I haven't, you know, heard too much of what's been happening lately. I know they were just practicing basically as a group and, and trying to get some exhibition games when they could down there. I know that, uh, I think, you know, obviously in Wenatchee, they were shut down as well for a bit. So they didn't get ice until I think like late October as well. So it's kind of a combination. They've gone through a lot of things, but uh, I know that Bliss and, and Clarkie, they're the, the, head coach and GM are you know doing a great job of what they can do right now. All right. Yeah. So if you guys just joining, we're sitting with Brooks Christensen, the GM of the Salmon Arm Silverbacks discussing all things BCHL. Um, how has this impacted this year? One, I think I want to, I'd like to talk about your current players. So like your team as it stands now, I know some have been committed to, they kind of know where they might be going. Others are still looking for scholarships how has the mood been around the locker room and, and how, what are, what are colleges and recruiters doing right now? Are they contacting you? Are they trying to ask for practice tape or, I mean, what does that whole climate look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we look back when I think it was the end of November when we got shut down. I mean, you know, we had a meeting as a, as a staff right away and said, okay, we need to come up with a plan of what things are going to look like until we get back playing. And at that time we thought it was a couple of weeks. We didn't think it was going to be, what was it being three, four months now, I think at this point. So, you know, we really focused on development, whether that was in the gym or, or on the ice. And so we put together a plan and, and kudos to our coaching staff. They've done a phenomenal job of keeping our guys engaged, making it fun. Um, we filmed pretty much every practice for the first, I think two and a half months whether that was uh at the time we could do scrimmages or we could do you know small area games or it was just straight skills we filmed that we were sending out to any schools that we were talking with and you know whether it was myself getting a call from a from an NCAA team or, or Tyler or Carter, our, our coaches, um, you know, really our biggest focus was getting out any content to those schools that needed it at the time. Um, I know we had a couple of guys kind of right on that edge of getting a scholarship and, and their biggest thing is they want to watch games, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you need to see games in order to see these guys perform. And um, that's why this, this was so important to get these games back. I think some people that, you know, are, are not, you know, in the know of hockey, don't understand what the importance of this, you know, this year for one thing. I mean, you got 19 year olds that were affected last year. I mean, we had one 19 year old that was phenomenal for us in the first round of playoffs. Um, we get shut down. He doesn't get a scholarship last year because, you know, they couldn't watch him continue to, to play. And then this year for him to get shut down as well again, and now be back playing. It's, it's so important. These guys get exposure. And so, um, you know, from, from the minute that we got shut down, our guys just really bought into to development. They trained in the gym six days a week. We were on the ice five days a week and really took the time that a normal player would probably do in the, in the off season, we were doing right in the middle of dead of the middle of winter. So, it was really important for us that we kept the guys engaged and, and Tyler and Carter did a, did a phenomenal job of making it fun for the guys. So it wasn't repetitive the same day, same thing where I know talking with some other you know teams in other leagues, you know, guys were getting pretty restless of 
are we going to play this week? Are we going to play this week? And, you know, are we really going to practice again? And so we had some players that didn't even go home for Christmas. That's how bought in they were of just development. And, and then there's the NHL side of things. I mean, you know, the draft, we, nobody knows what this draft's going to look like and everything, but we had two players for us that we had NHL teams calling and, and our biggest thing was okay, getting them exposure and, and making sure that they didn't have to leave and go to another league that was playing in order for that to happen. And so it's been great to see. I think, I think uh, yesterday's game, we had about eight uh, NHL scouts at the game. And I, know I wasn't at the game today, but I'm sure there was probably about the same amount. So it's so important for these guys to get this exposure that they need. Take a short break from our conversation with Brooks here just to say thanks, uh, show some gratitude. I appreciate you guys following. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you tuning in every week. And I appreciate all of the uh, goodwill you're showing me through text message and through reviews on iTunes and, uh, and all the other good things that you're doing. So thanks so much for being a part of this journey, this Up My Hockey journey of uh, listening to these stories and sharing them with your friends and with your players. And, uh, and, using, and using the journeys of others to help support careers, whether it be yours or, or that of somebody else's. That's what it's all about. And uh, I will continue plowing forward uh, and finding great guests as long as everyone is finding value. So hearing that, that there is value out there means a lot to me and, uh, and it motivates me to keep rolling. So thanks again. And now back to the podcast with Brooks Christensen. Yeah, when it's... Uh... It's so competitive too, obviously, right? I mean, there's only so many spots yet. These you know, these universities need to fill positions too. So, like, do you do you see have more have more scholarships gone to areas that were able to play and were allowed to keep going just because of the fact that, like you said, well, they can they can watch these guys. Is that was happen happening? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I mean, you look at the USHL. I mean, they, I mean, they pretty much just kept going right through. They didn't really have any to, anything to shut down to. So um, I'm sure that there's been more, you know, deals go out to kids that way just because they were being seen, they were being, you know, being able to go watch. And NCAA schools can still go watch those games where, you know, they can't cross the border right now and get up and watch our game. So it's all on, it's all on hockey TV. It's all on Instat. It's all on these, you know, on the computer, basically how they're watching games. So it's uh it's definitely a bizarre time but uh and then there's a fallback of you know they've the ncaa gave everybody another year so you know if you're a senior you get an extra year of schooling now that changes your roster completely where now you've got guys potentially coming back for another season that maybe you had a recruit that was 19 years old or 20 years old planning to go next year and now they're getting pushed back a year or or that changes their roster so that's where i think we've seen the most kind of uh transitioning of everything is that you know, some of these guys that were on the verge of getting a scholarship, schools are holding out because they don't know what their what their graduating class is doing. So it's 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 learning curve for everybody. There is no formula in any way, shape, or form for what we're dealing with here right now. Right, right. And we all know. I mean, of course, there's a product on the ice, and people can see and watch that product. But a lot of these things happen because of relationships too. You know, like uh, you know, certain schools like certain teams, or there's certain management that know players or, or recruiters in different areas, and they really lean on guys. I would imagine now more than ever um, with scenarios like that, where the phone gets picked up and says, "Hey, what? I mean, do do I take this guy? You know, or, or maybe you're doing right. the vice versa, or your coach is calling saying, "Hey, this is a guy that we have and." Nobody's able to see him, but he needs to be on your team. Like, is is more of that happening this year? Maybe because of the situation too. 
I, you know what I think for for our situation here in San Marmi, mean, like you kind of mentioned, like Tyler and I are both 30, 30 years old. We're we're young, and uh, you know we don't have those you know ten fifteen year established uh, relationships with some NCAA schools. So you know for us, it's it's picking up a phone every single day and calling you know whether that's a school, an NHL scout, or phoning everybody just to get whatever they need in their hands so that they can you know we can back up what we're saying. I mean we've got a phenomenal group this year with with some guys that you know have been working working as hard as they possibly could to get a scholarship and. It's really just getting that information to those schools and hoping that, you know, they trust us from previous guys that we've moved on. I mean, you know, I, I've been a part of some pretty phenomenal players that come through in my six years with the organization and, and talking with some of the schools and go, hey, you know, here, here's an example of a guy that I remember back when he was 18. This guy's the exact same. He's the exact same player. He's the exact same mentality. And trying to really get that, you know, that relationship built with them saying, hey, you know, I, I can relate it. I get, you know, you do only certain guys that you're going to want, but I'm um, trying to find that kind of perfect fit for a school. And, and it's it's definitely being challenging for sure. Right. Do you, um, is that something that for you as an organization and, and maybe part of your culture is, you know, so some teams focus on winning and, and the championships and that type of stuff. And others maybe are more focused on the players and having them move on and get the scholarships. Is, is there one foot in front of the other with that? Like, is that something you guys want to hang your hat on is that you get players um, scholarships? Well, I think, I think we definitely hang our hat on that. Just so the fact that last year, I mean, alone, we, we moved 11 guys on to the NCAA. Um, you know, we, we're starting to get more and more guys with scholarships already come into our organization. But for the most part, it's been guys that, you know, don't have anything and we need to help them get that. And so last year was a big year. I think we were in the top maybe two, three teams in our league to to have that number be in the double digits. And I, I think that really goes to show the, the hard work that our staff puts in in order to make that happen. But it's also on the players. I mean, you know, players have to do the, the grunt of the work with really just being on the ice every single day and, and improving and uh and so you know that's that's an important piece but you know kind of answer your question like i mean winning is obviously it's it's job security it's it's consistency it's you know becoming a better program and we made a, a huge jump last year with our our program to to become third in our division and you know for those who don't know about our division i mean it's it's probably the best in canada i mean we're the interior division is so competitive every night your consistency is such a big thing for us is that you have to be ready to go every single night whether you're playing and the Penticton's, the Vernon's, the West Colonos, the Wenatchee's, you know, everybody's such a powerhouse team, even Trail. I mean, Trail was, you know, moved a, a lot of uh, big players on. I mean, Ken Johnson is probably going to be a, a top, I think, five draft pick here this uh, upcoming mm-hmm. year. And so it, it really just goes to show that the, the quality of players that our, our league brings in. And I mean, you look at Penticton, I mean, everybody kind of talks about Penticton as a powerhouse and, you know, any, any given night it can go either way. It's just a matter of who wants it more. And, and they're a skilled team. You have to show up against those guys or or you're losing no matter what right right you mentioned to, to be uh players coming to the uh program now with scholarships already in hand would that be generally then the u.s players that you guys bring in that that um they want to continue their development they've already been given scholarships or how would a canadian player arrive at the program with with a scholarship in hand yeah, I, I think you know, I, we look at like the CSSHL, for instance. I mean, they've done such a great job adapting to the kind of new era of hockey. And so there's definitely some guys that have either established a, a conversation with those schools before, and then we're just kind of helping facilitate that and, and work together on that. But yeah, definitely some Americans. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Americans, it's a lot easier for them to get an NCAA scholarship just because they're American. It's cheaper for a school to give a scholarship. Um, yeah. But I would say it's it's probably, it's getting closer and closer to 50%. 
from Canada and 50 from, from the U S. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not, it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't sway us away from a kid. If he doesn't have a scholarship before coming, if anything, we want to work that much harder and make sure that kid gets one. Right. How about for you guys? So, I mean, we covered the other end, the players that are on your team and, you know, these guys are, are, are trying to get somewhere else, whether it's the NHL or, or a scholarship and you know, anxiety is pretty high, but how about you and your chair with your hat on and you got to make sure you got a team for next year yet you can't, necessarily watch kids play either and you need to know what kids are doing too so how are you handling that for uh for the season of 21 uh, 22 yeah it's i mean a lot of it has been on the computer i mean watching any games like you know for our u.s players that have been able to play it's it's been easy to be able to tap in and watch their shifts um from in in canada here it's it's a little bit different i know we've you know, try to get to some practices when we can and be up away from the team in the stands and, and trying to be as careful as we can and make sure we're following all the rules. Um, and then it's talking with coaches. I mean, you know, you know, we signed Nathan Mackey, who I know you've had on the show here. And, and you know, that was a, a great relationship that we built with Jason Beckett from from the Okanagan Rockets. And really, it was just communicating back and forth with him. Nathan was a, a great player that we had back in, in August. And it kind of the same thing. Like, you know, we got to see everything was a five games before they got shut down. So it's like, OK, you watch those three, four times, it gets old, right? You need new content. So I was trying to get some practice footage, whatever that was, in order to watch and and it's it's adapting it's it kind of same thing when we got shut down for ourselves it was we met and said okay how do we scout here how do we recruit make sure that we're still when normally we'd have players fly in come visit um you know we'd have players from all over bc from from canada come travel to sound arm for a weekend and you know it's it's a pretty easy sell when a kid comes from let's say toronto area and comes out to sound arm or the okanagan and you know the the drive from Kelowna airport to sound arm coming through cal lake it's it's a pretty easy draw where I don't, I don't think I've ever had anybody say, wow, this isn't a beautiful area that we live in. And right. well, I get to play junior hockey here. Like, are you kidding me? Kind of thing. Right. So yeah. it's uh, it's definitely changed drastically. I mean, I know a lot of zoom calls when we got shut down last year, it was the same thing. It was zoom calls for recruiting with the families, with the players, with advisors, whatever that might be to, to make it work. And um, you know, a lot of, a lot of hours of st- staring at a, ho- a screen, I guess, and watching hockey. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I guess you just got to find, find ways to make it happen. Right. I mean, you bring up Nathan, which actually maybe is a good story because he really turned your guys' heads. If, if I got my, my chronology, right. But it was at the camp that he got invited to, and it was um, essentially a rookie camp, right? Like with the first one was, was cause he was a, he played U 15 um, in that CSSL or whatever, CSSHL or whatever that league is, right. The, the Academy league. Yeah. Uh, you had seen something there uh, and of course, I mean, a lot of players get a lot of invites and you're going to different levels there. And I'm not sure when Nathan got invited and correct me if I'm wrong, if he was like necessarily labeled as a blue chip type prospect, but he went to your first camp and then he did well enough there to get invited to the second one. Is, is that a, is that accurate of, of the story with Nathan? Yeah. So I actually, um, I remember watching him last year. I was in Penticton for the CSSHL playoffs where every league of, mm. of age group comes there and plays and it was basically right before we got shut down I think it was like I think I watched two days of hockey and then we got shut down right before uh, another game was supposed to start and so I got to see him there for the first time live and then uh, our staff invited him to to our rookie camp or our ID, ID camp which we ended up having to postpone with with COVID happening till August so I think it was like the first week of August we held that camp and uh, Nathan what stood out the page I remember you and I talking about this was what stood out for me was his fitness testing um, you know for a young kid, I mean, I think he might have even still been 15 at that time. Um, he blew kind of 
our mind with with how he came in shape and his competitiveness and so his off ice fitness testing was what kind of jumped off the page for myself and then backed it up on the ice and so we uh we invited him just again moving into our main camp per se our, our top 40 camp is basically what we do um invited him with a couple other young uh 2004s i think we had one or two oh fives even there and the impact that he left with us after that main camp was was what really started to get us more engaged with him i mean he he was definitely competing hard every single day his consistency was up and that's something i'm big about is, is consistency you have to really make sure that you can play every single day every time you step on the ice that you can compete and and that's what stood off the page when at main camp for me um we would have loved to have him in exhibition games just for a young player getting that first chance to play but then of course with the the I think it was what they called it at the time. It was like the pods or the, you know, the cohorts and everything like that. You couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't do it. So I basically had to send them to Okanagan and say, you know, hopefully we can affiliate you and get you up in some games and then just kind of stayed in touch and kind of moved from there. So he's, he's definitely a prime example of a kid that just came to a camp and made an impact and it's just escalated from there. And obviously now he's a committed player for us for next year and, and was able to get into a game uh, a short period of time, but uh, you know, think the world of him and, and looking forward to his future with us. Oh, that's great. And and maybe it's good just even to talk about that because some, some parents, I mean, well, I shouldn't say parents, but there's different, there's different ideas about what these ID camps are. And obviously you guys are a business and you guys need to make some money. And some people think, oh, it's a cash grab and no one ever comes from the ID camp and will ever make a team. And they just invite everybody in the world. But I mean, that's obviously not the case. You I mean, you can't fill your entire roster with people from an ID camp, but you, you might find one or two guys, right. That you'll invite to main camp and that you want to have an eye on. You want to get a closer look at if they make a right impression and they do go on and become salmon arm silverbacks and they do go on to be BCHL players. So, um, would you recommend parents like, you know, some guys have more than one invite a lot of times, right. To, to, to a camp, sometimes they overlap. Um, what would be your advice to, to parents handling that, that, or players that are listening, you know, that the ID camp scenario and, and, and where do you go and, and why do you go there? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I did when I was young and I know I remember going to camp, you know, pretty much all May was booked off where every weekend you were going to some kind of spring camp. I mean, the first piece of it is, is obviously it's, you know, the ice time availability is, you know, for, I think it's whatever you charge in the two, $300 range, you know, for how much ice you get in, it's pretty tough to, to get that in a normal, just going to get in some one-on-one sessions. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a value to it for us in our organization. Like we've had, I'm going to say in, in the dozens uh, that we've signed from our, our camp and a lot of them are younger players. So if, you know, if you're a 15 year old or a 16 year old really looking to get your name out there, going to a spring camp or an ID camp or a, a main camp is definitely the perfect opportunity for you. For one, you're playing against older guys. So you're going to see how you shape up against a 19 or 20 year old that if you were a 16 year old playing in the BCHL, you'd have to make sure you can compete against those guys. And, and I think that's what really kind of jumps off the page for the first part of it for young players is that, okay, here's where I actually stand with, with, um, with older players, you know, and then we've had some 19 year olds where they come into to an ID camp. We've never heard of them, never even seen them before. And, you know, they make a, an impression and you invite them back to main camp and they get some exhibition games in. And we've had, you know, it's, it's nobody's, nobody's got the same path. Everybody's got a different path and a different kind of formula to get to their journey of junior hockey or whatever it is. And, and that's really, I think where those ID camps just kind of give you that opportunity. Do you encourage, uh, or do you field phone calls from whether it be a player or from a parent, just maybe asking questions about where, where they lie or what your interest level really is maybe, or even what the roster construction looks like for next year, you know, cause sometimes people have questions and they're curious and 
I, I actually, and not to bias your, your response with this, but I do encourage the players to, to understand where it is that they're trying out, right? Like, what does the composition of that roster look like? You know, I mean, is this a place where you think that you can fit? Are you a good fit? What's the coach like? You know, like, um, so to do their homework, sometimes, you mean, sometimes maybe that might mean talking to a GM. A lot of times it doesn't have to mean that. But do you answer those calls and do you encourage uh, parents or players to, to talk or, or ask questions? Yeah, I think asking questions if you don't know is is important, right? I mean, I can relate to when I was a player. I mean, my my seventeen year old year, I went to to the Vipers uh, spring camp. I had a great camp. I went to main camp, and and now looking back on it, and you know, I think I played two exhibition games that year before getting sent back to to junior B. And I look back at it going, you know, that was the year that they started making their run where they were a powerhouse. And I look back on, my goodness, like I was so far from you know, making that organization really when he looked at it for just who I was as a player and, and who they had. Um, it was really something where, you know, I've talked with my parents going, I really wish I would have known. I really wish I would have asked more questions of how did, you know, where did I fit? Was I actually a, a piece that was considered for that roster? And and so for myself and Tyler, that's been something that we've talked about is we really want to be honest with, with, with families, with players. I mean, I've had personal family members that, you know, their kids have come up and obviously had conversations with them and saying, hey, you know, you know, you you're, will never turn away a player from coming and trying out, but, you know, maybe guiding them in a different direction of saying, hey, this might be a better, better least starting path for you. And, and if I can be a, a guidance for anybody and helping that way, I, I'm happy to have those conversations. Um, you know, I, the, the, the parents phoning a, you know, a GM or a head coach and saying, you know, hey, where's my player sit in the roster where, you know, that it, it's, it's kind of one of those catch 22s, right? You never want to be that, that parent that phones and phones and bugs the, the staff, but at the same time, you know, we're never going to turn away a call and say, Hey, you know, we're not going to talk to you. Hey, you know, that's not, you know, we might not tell you exactly what you want to hear, but we also might tell you some information and guidance of how we can help you. And so I think it's finding that kind of that guide and that happy medium that you can really look out for a family and a kid. Cause at the end of the day, these are just kids. They're, yeah. they're kids. They're, it's a, it's a business we got to run, but they're kids, they're human beings and there's more life than just hockey. And it's really trying to help them get to where they need to be. Yeah, that's a great point. And we, and you mentioned parents and players there and, and you, you know, I work with players uh, on an, on an individual level, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in a group. And one of the things with my, with my private clients and depends on the age and where they're at, but like, those discussions are hard and I really encourage them to have those discussions on their own, right? To, to stand up, to knock on the door, to pick up the phone and, uh, and ask the questions, even like to recruit themselves, to let somebody know that they're interested. Is that something that you think is favorable? And, and again, obviously be, be honest with your answer. Some people don't like the phone calls. Um, for me, I think that does show agency. I think that shows ownership and passion and that they're capable of, of handling themselves. And, and sometimes like that's sort of the thing that's really like, wow, that's pretty cool that this kid give me a call like uh how do you sit on that on that fence do you, do you like when when kids will, would make that phone call yeah you know i mean i don't think i'm anywhere in my career that i can turn down phone calls i think first off i don't think i've done enough in this world of hockey to to be able to say that hey you know i'm not taking phone calls from that like that to me is just i i'd rather be a resource for a family and, and rather have a, a good you know rapport with somebody rather than just saying hey you know i'm not interested in talking with you or hey it's not going to work here kind of thing so uh, you know, i'll never never turn down a phone call from a family or from a kid i know looking back when you know my my parents never 
played hockey when I grew up and my dad learned to skate when we were learning to skate, my brother and I, and, and uh, I know Gary Davidson was a, was a prime example of, you know, when I was a stick boy and, and I know my, my parents asked them a lot of questions growing up of just being a junior team before he sold the silverbacks of going, you know, what's the, you know, what's our road? Junior B was, was something as a 16 year old, I went, I knew nothing about, I knew, I just knew that I played hockey and played midget triple a, whatever that was at that time. And okay, what's the next step. And, and that's when, when we asked, you know, Gary for, for a lot of it, of, kind of help with that and looking back on it, I definitely wish I would have asked more questions and got to know more stuff but it's it's something where you you take what you learn and, and I'm trying to implement it into what I'm doing here nowadays yeah I mentioned uh you know that we have that common bond there or tie with Gary Davison because I mean at 15 I played in the BCHL I don't know if you know, knew that or not but I was obviously from Vernon which you do know and so there was that decision of like trying to make a decision before you really made a team, right? I, Vernon wanted me to go to their camp. Gary wanted me to go to Penticton. Vernon was in that in that whole frame where they were always kind of vying for the title and they would bring in a lot of 20-year-olds at the, at the end of the year and kind of change their composition up when they were going for it at the end. And so we kind of knew that history. And uh, and Gary was just, it was more of a personality thing again, right? Like it was just, he was, he was really honest. He was really transparent. It seemed like he was... He was authentic in the fact that he wanted me to be there for the season that I was going to be played. And and so that was a decision that we went with. I didn't really want to get in an environment where I was trying to compete for ice time with a 20-year-old that, you know, that was coming in at the halfway point or something. And and yeah, and that decision worked out, you know, I mean, really well. I mean, Gary did play me. I mean, I uh I think I earned the ice time too, mind you, you know, but I, I did I did play and I was there and it was a good experience and played in the BCJ. But it was I remember that at the time. It was hard to navigate. Like, where do you try out? I mean, like where where do you go? You know, and how do you how do you know if it's the right decision? And and obviously you never really do know if you're making the right one, but you just go with your gut sometimes and and uh and it works out. But I think what you and uh Tyler are doing, like, you know, answering those phone calls, like you say, you know, and being being present and and being around. I mean, a lot of parents and a lot of players are making well, even Nathan, I told you that. Like that one of the biggest decisions was because the relationship that he built with Tyler from that camp and 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 uh and how Tyler talked to him and like uh, approach him and communicate with him and and he just felt comfortable going into that environment you know so that uh i think that says volumes you know for the comfort level of the people that you're bringing in and even the culture that you're creating there so kudos to you guys for you know for doing that that's uh that's job well done um when it comes to when it comes to that whole parent thing like when it, it, i mean the hockey parent the crazy hockey parent is obviously that that that's been out there and it's been talked about uh, when is too much too much? Do, do, do you think do you, is less is less more in, in most of the cases, or or where, where do you feel where do you feel that lies right now? Especially yeah, at your yeah. level, I guess, of the BCHL. Yeah, you know, I'll, I guess I'll tell a story a bit of my first experience in junior, like when I when I became an assistant coach with Brandon, and uh, I remember us, it was maybe an hour after uh, one of our first games and uh, I'm sitting in the office and, and a phone rings and it's it's a, a parent and he's going talking Brandon's ear off basically of ice time of, you know, you know, my, where my opportunity for my kid is and, and so on and so on. And I remember he, he hung up and he goes, well, that's the first one of the year. And there's probably gonna be a couple more. And I remember sitting there going like, wait, you tell me parents actually do this. Like I, I was so green to it. I had no idea. And he goes all the time. So I remember driving home from the rink that night, I phoned my dad up. I said, like, you, what, what, like, did you not call for me? Like what's going on? Like, you know, I remember going like, well, you could do that. Like, you know, and, and Tyler and I talk about this all the time and going like, 
you know, our parents, it was just, it, you didn't do it back then. And, and times have changed so much where there's, you start building those relationships more and more. And, and personally for me, it's, it's less is more. I think, you know, like these kids, when they get to be their young adults, they should be able to, to come and sit with their staff. And you kind of mentioned with Nathan, like we feel our players should be comfortable to be able to sit and say, you know, Hey coach, you know, why am I not playing on a power player? What, you know, what do I need to do to get there? And, and, and having those discussions and being able to come and knock on the door and, and not be just pushing these kids saying, Nope, you're not, just not being good enough. Right. And, you know, I, I can relate that back to, to when I played a lot of times, it's like, you know, I look back when I trained in the off season, I went, okay, I was nowhere near doing what I need to do every summer in order to be a, a high athlete and a high performance player and move on to the next level. And, you know, talking with kids nowadays, it's like just going for a run isn't good enough. Like, you know, you go spend 30 minutes in a, in a normal gym. It's not good enough. Like there's, there's kids down the road. We live in San Arm, 45 minutes down the road in Vernon. There's a kid training for an hour and a half with a personal trainer and then going and doing another workout and then going and spending an hour on the ice. So to me, it's to, to kind of get back to the parent side of things. It's, there, there's questions to be asked for sure. And, and I think there's, there's those kind of just not knowing uh, pieces and, and happy to answer those ones when it comes to, you know, the, the ice times, the, the opportunity, you know, what, you know, what are you going to do for my kid? I, I think it's, it's such a, there's such a fine line of when it's crossing too much. And so I would definitely say less is more, but you know, I'm never going to be the one to say, Hey, you know, you know, don't, don't call again here kind of thing. Like we need to kind of nip this in the butt kind of thing. It's, it's, it's really just trying to gauge and just trying to tell parents, Hey, you know, let, let things unravel and see like, we're, if, if you're a sound arm silver wreck, you're, we're always going to have your kids interest at heart here. If it's, if there's ever a trade, it's, you know, it's not just because we're making a transaction. It's because there's a more opportunity for your kid to go play for another organization that he has that spot to fill there. You know, if it's a defenseman for a forward, it's going, okay, we needed a defenseman. They needed a forward. He's going to go and get more opportunity kind of thing. Right. Yeah. They, uh, and I would, I would guess that it rarely ever helps. And, it, and, and I would also guess that it would more probably hurt. I mean, like, it, and I guess it depends on the flavor of the phone call or how often the phone sure. call is again. But like, you know, obviously parents are well-intentioned, you know, they, they're very passionate about their, about their kid, but um, you know, you guys got a hard job to do, especially a coach. And when you have somebody in your ear, like it's hard not to be biased towards the kid in some way when it comes to that too. So I, uh, I always let parents like let your kid go through the door, let mm-hmm. your kid knock on the door if he's not happy. Let him ask the question, you know, or her, obviously, in in uh, depending on the league. Um, but I think that's where the respect comes from. I know of me as a coach, I love a player that can come talk to me. You know, I love a player that that, that wants to stand up for himself and and for what he thinks. You know, he maybe he wants or deserves. I think that's great. Those conversations happen. You know what I mean? And yeah. sometimes coaches make mistakes, and it's okay to have those have those conversations. But you need to get out from under mom and dad's uh, little wing, you know, an umbrella. And a lot of times, the players don't even want it, right? But the the parents are still involved, and they want to be involved. And uh, I would just say it. it uh, that would be my my recommendation to anyone listening: is you know, as much as you want to talk to your kid. If he has the same feelings you have, which is very important as well, then let mm-hmm. him go have the conversation. Um, anyways, moving on. Um, when it comes to getting players in front of you, especially in this year, do you encourage, like, do you take videotape? Do you do you want to hear about somebody? I mean, it's tough to have eyes everywhere, I guess, right? Like, how, how do you uh, how do you go about that with with uh, player recruitment and, and and player resumes and that type of thing? 
Yeah, I mean, we get, I would say it's starting to happen more and more now here. And in, in probably the last two years, I think it's it's more where you're seeing, you know, kids send a, a highlight video and a, and a resume and, and re- references. It's almost coming to like what a job is when you're, you know, you're 16 years old and you're going for your first job at the movie theater or wherever right. that is. And you're going, okay, here's my, you know, here's my references and, and everything like that. So, uh, you know, we'll never turn them away. I mean, it's it's for sure something our coaches, that's their job is to watch. I mean, we had we had a player do it a couple of years ago. And I remember sent in just an email. I actually went to our marketing director um, and it turned out to be a stud for us. Like he, he actually worked out to be a phenomenal player, went on to, to, to the college level and, and is going to be a really good player in the future. And so I don't think you ever can just, you know, throw them in a folder and just, okay, that's it. Like you definitely got to at least look at it, jig into it. Um, I know, and I know we kind of chat about like player advisors, family advisors, like that's getting to be more and more here now. Uh, as a as a thing of the future here, and and trying to really make sure you have the right relationships with a guy that you know knows the style of player that you like, and so I'd say it's it's definitely changed a lot over the last couple of years here for sure. And uh, you know I think the more kids can get their opportunity to to get you know their information in front of us, the better kind of thing. Just going to take one more short break here from the podcast with Brooks Christensen to talk about Up My Hockey and the Up My Hockey services. I am building my fall schedule as we speak. So many of you who have been interested as far as from a team development aspect is concerned, if you're a coach or a general manager or a program director for a team out there, an academy or a junior program, by all means, reach out. Let me know if this is something that you find interesting. Uh, High-performance mindset coaching for your team from somebody who's been there and done that. Uh, I really like the work I did last year with teams. Uh, Found a sweet spot with working collectively with a group of individuals. And when the concepts and themes be part of the backbone of the program, uh, it's really inspiring how much more you get out of players because they buy into their own development and they buy into the development of others too that are surrounding them. And together, you're stronger than the individual. And, uh, and when, when players actually see that and feel that, it's, uh, it's pretty cool uh, to, to watch and to be a part of. So if this is something that you find interesting, something that you think you want to be a part of, be one of the progressive leaders that gives support away from the ice uh, for things that happen on the ice, uh, by all means, my email is open. All the information about team services is available at upmyhockey.com, upmyhockey.com on my website. Um, and yeah, really excited to build this fall schedule. And I know uh, you know programs start now uh, for the fall. So let's get it. Let's get it on there. Let's have the discussions that matter. And um, look forward to hearing from you. Now back to the conversation with Brooks Christensen. Sure, we have. Um myself my, my oldest is 11 and i and i hear the chatter already you know some some parents trying to position their kid for the bchl draft or where do you get noticed or where's the right league or the highest profile places to be um one of our one of our listeners here today asked how well are the bc zone teams css hl teams doing in promoting players with video and contacting you guys um i'll take that one step further and just be like uh, is there do you try and have eyes everywhere? I mean, is there is there places that you do watch more? Um, and then also, I mean, with the Facebook user here too, how, how well are these teams doing and promoting and, and bringing people into your league? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, my first experience with the the CSSHL with the coaches that we've dealt with have been great. I mean, whether it's you know us phoning to just get information on a, on a player or you know saying, hey, what do you have that's uh, that's something worth watching? Um, they're always promoting their players one way or another to to get to our level. Um, you know, usually our, our ID camps is where coaches will phone and say, hey, when's your ID camp? I got some kids I really want to get in front of you, and and the zone teams too, like the zone. Uh, programs like I mean we weren't familiar with them too too much before but they're starting to come more and more where you know we've seen kids from Sam Arm where you know they've gone to play it now so we've started to follow it just from our relationships with minor hockey families here mm-hmm. um, and, and they've come a long way I know it's been kind of a, a transition period for BC hockey in general but uh, I, I think they're always promoting their guys um, and I think that if you know if you're not with a coach that's promoting you he's not doing your best interest I mean you know, it's like us, you know, we're a development league moving on to the NCAA. We should always be contacting coach. It's the same thing with junior B. It's the same thing with the the midget programs is they should always be promoting their guys to the next level. And that's something even with affiliating players, like something that I've never understood um, in my position is going, when we call to ask for an affiliate and a coach says, no, it's going, okay, you're not doing that kid's, you know, it's best interest. And sure. There's the, there's the teams that just call up and he plays two shifts a game and sits sits on the bench and that doesn't do us a, any kind of service. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, usually when we pull up a kid, it's he's going to get shifts. And we know that if he's a, a top player for that team where he'd normally get ice time, but we're going to pull him up. Like we want to make sure he's getting in the game and getting that experience so that, you know, when it's next year, I mean, use Nathan as a, a, an example again, like, you know, we, we got him and, and Jason and, and the Okanagan Rockets organization in general was, was phenomenal with that. They were pushing to have him come up and join us and, and really trying to do everything they could to make sure that happens. So I think it's definitely, you, you got to pick and choose your organization that you go to. It's no different than when we're recruiting. It's a family's got to pick what makes sense for them. And, and I think it's just trying to find that right fit for you that, uh, that, you know, that you can trust that coach to, to get you promoted to that next level. Right. And the league, I mean, I guess we, I want to be as honest as we can with it, but I, I, I do think that there is, <laughs> there's a little bit of a frenzy about like getting into the CSSHL, like that this is like the Holy grail. Um, I do understand that it's a good league. I, I mean, I, I think it compares like the rockets and that, and that league is, is, is comparable. Um, I know that the zone program is obviously a little bit of a step down, but I'm still of the belief and maybe I'm a dinosaur or maybe I'm wrong, but like, I, I do think that you can play at the BCHL level coming from all three of those spots and you don't have to spend 30, $30,000 uh, on a placement to an Academy to ensure that happens. Do you, do you feel that way or, or, or is it becoming a spot where we kind of need to be in one of those two leagues to, to really have eyes on you? Well, I think it's, like I kind of mentioned before, I think there's a formula that's different for every single player. I don't think that two guys are the exact same and need to go the exact same path. Uh, I know, like you kind of mentioned, like when I grew up, it was midget AAA was you, you played in your hometown until you're ready to head off to junior and that was it. And I know, I think, POE at the time was like just up and coming. OHA was just kind of coming when I was there and, and hearing with, you know, these people spending these, you know, tens, twenties, thirty thousand dollars for their kid to play one year hockey. And it's, it's crazy that the the money that's been spent nowadays uh, in hockey in general. Um, so I would definitely say that it, it's all your own path. Um, we'll always watch games. If there's a kid that's doing phenomenal in, in a zone midget program or even just a midget double A program, to me, that's where the ID camps just come in in perfect situations where, you know, maybe we didn't get out to see, 
you know, six, seven games, maybe only we saw him one time and go, okay, like we liked what we saw. He, he has the stats to back it up in, in that league, but now we want to see what he, what he does against the, the CSSHL kids, the, the junior B players, the, you know, the our returning veteran players and really see where they fit. So that's where those ID counts, I think to me fits perfectly is, you know, there are friends that can't spend, you know, even $5,000 a year. It's, it's crazy what, what some, you know, leagues are, are, are charging nowadays. Now, now at the same time, the CSSHL, the major minute, like there is value to it. They get on the ice every single day. There's, there's a structure to that, which I totally respect. Um, but there's, you know, there's families that live on a budget that can't afford the, the $350 sticks every, every three weeks where a kid's breaking one. Right. So it's, yeah. it's definitely, I think where the ID counts can come into play and, and try to help those kids get exposure. And, you know, for us, it's, if a kid's you know not quite there in junior A level, we're happy to facilitate to to find a junior B team where that player can still continue to play, maybe be an affiliate for us, and you never know what happens. Right. Yeah, I know that's great. Those are great points. You know, uh, with the whole age aspect, do you do you have any sixteen year olds in your team this year? Uh, well, we've got we've got two that are are with us right now. Yeah, so we didn't yeah. have any at the start of the year, but we pulled up one one just after Christmas, who was very close, and then and then Nathan's been with us uh, for the past what three weeks here now as gotcha. well. So we've got two sixteen year olds, and we've got four seventeen year olds. Is that something that you try to have as part of the composition? I mean, it's funny from a from a recruiting standpoint now. Like, are you are you recruiting bantam leagues? Are you recruiting only generally the midget age age players, or when does that when does that start? I think nowadays, you know, we actually just had this conversation probably about a month ago that we went, you know, we got to start looking at, you know, almost graduating peewee players and what they're going to do in Bantam because there are the the 15-year-olds that make a jump right after 15 to be a 16-year-old in our league, right? So if you're not recruiting, you know, when they're kind of a second-year peewee and you start looking at players and go at least maybe not having the conversations with the families, but at least keeping an eye on what that player's career path is doing and you know do they go to an academy do they stay in their local uh, minor hockey association association whatever that is yeah. and really trying to just follow that I, I think you need to um, 16 17 year olds for us is an important piece because they're your future you know we try to build three years in the making and so you try to be a you know an opportunity for a 16 or 17 year old to get in the lineup get that exposure and get that kind of feel for what the bchl is and then as an 18 year old try to make an impact where then a 19 year old you're you're making your mark kind of in the league and then you're moving on to the NCAA. I think, I think the 20 year old situation is starting to kind of go a little bit more away. I mean, obviously you have your 20 year olds that are your leaders and that are kind of like your core group, but I think you'll start to see more and more where the, the younger kind of transitioning is, is happening. Yeah. Everything's getting younger. It seems like younger and younger. Um, and he said, you, you do need the 20 year olds. And sometimes, I mean, a lot of those 20 year olds end up fighting and earning those scholarships at that point, you know, if, if they're in the right organization. And like you said, everyone has a different path. And that's one of the things I've, I've found with this. And I found so interesting in talking to people like yourself and other players is that just how diverse the path is. I mean, there's, there's no one way for everybody uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, and people get to some really high places on these different paths. It's really, really quite inspiring, actually. Uh, I like what you said there about the ID camp. So I think that is important. I mean, for parents to hear too, right? Like you could be in a zone program. Uh, you could be doing really well there. You could even be potentially below a zone program. But if you have someone, uh, if you are doing well there and you're dominating where you are, you, you're going to get a chance to go against, you know, the bigger, the bigger, the bigger leagues, right? And the, and the players there. And now if you compete there, then you're, you're fine. I mean, that's really the, 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 the competition ground there, right? Um, when you get on that, when you get on that plane service against everybody, you get to see, you get to see where it really lies. And, um, 
And obviously you're going to take the best player and the best person available to you. You don't really care where they, where they've played at, at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, I am somebody who likes to keep people local where possible. People can save money, keep families together, and not sending them off. You know I mean, I'm 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 a big uh, proponent of that. Sometimes it's not easy, um, and it's and it's hard to do. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just I, I hate when people think, well, they 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 will just it'll never happen if we don't do this, you know. And you have people making right. really big uh, decisions, and and I'm not sure that they have to do that, but. Um, Let's maybe finish with, uh, and by the way, everyone who's listening, as you know, it's uh, Brooks Christensen here. If you've just joined late, uh, Sam Menarm, uh, GM of Sam Menarm Silverbacks. If you have any questions, by by all means, please ask. Um, I'll, I'll finish with how do people make that impression in camp? When I'm talking to players, you know, uh, I there's different ways to do it. Uh, one, just out of my own curiosity, is fighting even a thing anymore in camp? Like, is that something that you guys let happen? Do does anybody do it? Is it frowned upon? Is it smiled upon? What what is the what's that flavor like? I, I mean, I think fighting in general. I mean, I, personally, I'm a fan of it. I, I think you know, my brother was was a, a tougher guy. He was a big player that had to fight lots, and um, you know, I was never the type of guy. But uh, so I think the game's definitely shifted. Where fighting's kind of uh, an anomaly now at this point in time. I mean. You know, we, we have the odd fight in spring camps or main camps or ID camps. It's it's more or less probably two guys fighting for that position where they know that, you know, they're close and one wants to prove himself kind of more and make their mark. Um, you know, and then there, but there's also the other side where a guy's, you know, sticking up for a, a teammate or a young kid. I mean, you know, there are 15 year olds in, this, in these camps. And if, if a 19 year old goes running over a, a young kid, you know, I'm sure there's a, probably another older guy on that same team that's going to stick up for that guy. So to me, it's it, it's not something that, you know, maybe maybe the, the 10 years ago where you'd probably fight two or three times in a, in a camp just to, to get your name out there. But uh, to me, the, the biggest thing that, that I look for is consistency is it's just really if you can be from the minute you step on the ice at the start of camp to the end and you're the exact same player that entire time, to me, that's what jumps off the page. Um, you know, goal scoring is great, but there's a lot of players like, you know, you look at a defensive defenseman, they're probably not going to stand out in a, in a ID camp whatsoever because they don't make mistakes. They don't get exposed and, and they really just do what they're asked to. And so to me, that's what we really look for is, okay, what are these kids doing in this, in this five games, six games, whatever that weekend is and really evaluating on that rather than, I mean, it's great if a kid can score, you know, 15 goals in a camp, you know, there's obviously a value to that. Um, and chances are, if they do that, there's you know, maybe, a, maybe a small chance that they can transition that into a, a BCHL exhibition game where they're going you know, to score goals and do that kind of stuff as well. But to me, it's, it's, you know, for one, can they learn Two is there, can they compete? Three, do they come up, uh, you know, come with in shape? Are they, how's their fitness testing? We, we do a lot of fitness testing. And that's something that we really look at. Um, and if, you know, if you come and, you know, you're dogging it and you're, you're tired after day one, you know, it's pretty easy to see what you've done for the past three, four months preparing for those camps or whatever that is. Right. So uh, I think consistency is, is probably the biggest thing for us is that, that we really watch for. Yeah. Good for you. And I think the one thing that the players like, I don't know. I mean, I just remember when I was that age, you, you want to be in shape because you're going to be better on the ice. I mean, that's, that's obvious. So, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing in the gym and why you're being committed. But for someone like you wearing that hat in that chair, you can improve, you can improve the physical condition of somebody too, which you guys recognize. But the thing is, it's a telltale sign of like how important it is to them. Yeah. Right. Like, and that, like it's, it's almost like a little bit of a recipe card of like what's inside that person. Right. Like, and I think that's the part that the players kind of get 
or don't get. You know what I mean? Is the fact yeah. that this is like the, your this is your resume. This is you and what you care about and how much you're willing to put in because it is the one thing you can't control as a hockey player. Right? 100%. Like there's there's only so much you can control and that's one of them. I mean, how prepared are you for this camp? And um yeah, I mean, I just think you talked about compete. Like that fires me up too. I mean, that's what I named my spring team, the the, the up my hockey compete because you can control that. And you yeah. can stand out in a camp because you do that. You know, like you can't always score goals. You can't always make that perfect play. You know, you're not going to be amazing on your breakout pass all the time. But if you want to compete for pucks and if you want to compete for space in front of the net, that gets noticed. And you can do that every single shift. And it's up to you. Um, so it's that easy, right? Like you can stand out and then now your eyes are on you and now you get more looks. Like, I mean, I don't know. I just like that. I get super passionate about that because in this day and age too, when I'm watching the games, like it's, because because the physicality has gone down, I, I think in general that it's easier to stand out when it comes to those loose puck battles and stuff. And I think and who doesn't want a competitive player on their team, right? No, not, that's exactly. I think you know when we look at it, you know, a camp and everything. It's the guy. There's more guys that are just a hardworking third, fourth lines. You know, even in the NHL, you look at it like there's more guys that are those role players that are energy guys than there are the top ends, the the Matthews, the McDavid's, the McKinnons. Like you know, there's there's only so many of those guys but there's a lot of teams that are made up of those, you know, three lines of straight competitiveness in, in them. Right. And so to me, that's definitely it. You kind of touch on the addition part of it. I mean, you look at a dancer, like they're usually a stage with all eyes on them and that's, you know, that's their time to audition. It's the same thing. You know, if you, if you compete hard and you're, skating as hard as he possibly can every shift you you can control that you know you can't control if a puck's going to go in the net every single time right so it's something that's super important to us and i think it's making sure that uh you know for us as guys that are prepared that we know that when it comes to a big game that they've done everything they need to leading up to that weekend to be prepared to play in that game and be competitive all right and you mentioned a few times and i'll just i'll just i'll just echo it because i think it is important in that aspect of consistency for the for the young players that are listening because you can have a great game but what are you going to do the next game, right? Because you might have got somebody to talk about you, but now you might be two people watching. If you if you lay an egg that next game or even for five shifts in a row, like those might be the five shifts that somebody's actually watching you. So, um, yeah, I mean, consistency is a big thing for sure. Like to be whatever player you want to be and whoever you identify yourself as being, be that and be it all mm -hmm. the time, you know? Um, the less, the less ups and downs you have. And especially when you get to the junior level, you get to the pro level for sure. You know me that I experienced that. They don't want guys. I mean, Streaky scores is one thing, but streaky competitiveness is a completely another thing. Um, and so, yeah, you want to you want to be able to ebb those valleys, uh, not have as many valleys and not as many peaks and be consistent, especially when you're trying to get recruited. So, yeah, when you're going to camp young young guys out there, just be consistent, bring your game every game. And and the one way to really catch catch eyes is just show that you want it more, you know, and uh and that's going to get you some attention. There is one there's one kind of a funny question here. Maybe we'll wrap up with. Um, Hey Brooks, how much does a stick boy in the BCHL get paid? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> I think you, I think you get quite a few sticks. I think I'll remember back in my days. I know, and it's funny actually. I was talking to somebody the other day about this. Is going like, you know, I remember playing with the hundred flex sticks cut down because I got it from a silverback, and I was just so pumped. And now you see these, you know, Raven sticks and Bowers coming out with these these uh, smaller flexes. So it's not worth it. I'll tell you that right now. It doesn't it doesn't pay pay enough. In the if that is a true trust, you know, is that a volunteer? 
position. Usually, young kid probably wouldn't get paid it anything, is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah, come position. to the games and be a part of it. Yeah, they're you know we've had great stick boys over the, my years at least with this organization. It's they're they're a good piece. I know the guys really like having them around. So it's and it's great sure. for kids to learn, right? I mean, being around the the junior atmosphere. I know when I was a young kid, I learned a lot just about how to how to even present yourself as a player and, and see mm-hmm. what these guys do to prepare themselves for a game. It, so it's, it's definitely valuable for sure for yeah. young kids. Yeah. Well, we talked about it. I think I mentioned the first time we talked with Kevin Peterson, he mentioned it on my episode one of my, my hockey podcast where that's how he got his foot in the door with coaching. He ended up coaching the brick program and he ended up coaching these other, well, I ended up coaching the assistant coach for, for the Vipers under Mark Ferner. And he, he just hung around the rink. He said in his own, in his own minor hockey association, he hung around the rink, he hung around the rink. He was done playing junior hockey he got invited on the ice finally, started pushing pucks. And, you know, I mean, he volunteered, I think he said, for two or three or maybe even four years or something before he ever got, got his first paid position. And and here he is now as a Western scout for the Phoenix Coyotes. You know, like it's uh, – or Arizona Coyotes, I always get that wrong. You know, so yes. like there, there is something to be said for that, though. I mean, if you're passionate about something, you I mean, be around it, right? And do mm-hmm. whatever you can to be around it. And and those relationships end up getting made and, and people um, – that's the way the world works, right? I mean, people people work with people that they like to work with and people that have done stuff for them in the past. So you definitely build relationships and you build friendships and that also builds uh, builds resumes. So by all means, if that's your friend out there that wants to be and he's a young kid who wants to get in the, get his foot in the BCHL, though, that's a great way to do it. And you get to be around some really good people uh, and get to have some good examples and you get to be a part of a pretty cool thing. So I would definitely recommend that too. Um, well, Brooks, that's the hour, Mark. Um, I think we covered most of it. Is there anything else you'd like to say just about the team or your team in general or the league or um, why any young local talent should want to come play for the Silverbacks? No, I, I mean, I think it just touching base on it one more time, like everybody's path is different. I mean, you just mentioned Kevin's. I mean, I, I'm, I'm close with Kevin. I know him quite well. And, you know, it's my path as well. Like everybody's different. You know, there's guys that, you know, get the opportunity, I mean, to go on to play big, big time hockey in the NHL. And, and there's guys that, you know, never made it and, and have their own path. And so I think it's just being patient. I think patience is, is something that's hard to come by nowadays where families really trust trust that that's going to happen and that you just need to to go on your own path in order for that to happen for sure awesome man well you've been a great guest uh thanks for telling us about what's going on in the bchl and um you know where it's going and how players can get into it and how you are invested in moving players on and i know the silverbacks are definitely growing uh an awesome name and an awesome brand within the BCHL and, and definitely supporting this interior division of holding its head high amongst the, amongst the hockey world. It's a great place to be involved and I'm proud to call myself an alumni of, uh, of the league too. So thanks so much, Brooks. And I look forward to talking with you again. Well, thank you for being with us today here for episode 60 of the Up My Hockey podcast with Brooks Christensen. I thought that was a really uh, informative piece on the BCHL, uh, a league that a lot of people want to get in uh, a league that, uh, is aspired to by many and especially those in western canada who want to be collegiate players in the u.s on a division one type program Uh, that is really the place to go Uh, i know there's different routes in different parts of north america Uh, a lot of the ushl for instance is a a really high performer if you're on the east coast of the united states but for those of us uh, that are here in western canada and the western united states uh, sometimes the bchl turns out to be the best option available really solid hockey really good league really good organizations that produce a ton of division one players and more and more and more nhl draft picks so uh, thank you so much brooks for joining me thanks for sharing your story your personal story Uh, i love how you've gotten into the position of of general manager by working your tail off and showing up and doing the right things uh, being coachable being adaptable uh, learning from the, those before you and now here you are 
creating an awesome program and an awesome environment uh, with the Silverbacks. It's becoming a really uh, desirable place for, for players to want to come play. So uh, thanks again for those of you who are listening. And until next time, play hard and keep your head up.